Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Strongly Connected Components, episode 36, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. On today's episode, I am joined by Professor Zailberger, and we discuss why everything is discreet, the importance of experimental mathematics, the many meanings of the word no, and the disjoint union issue that plagues mathematics. Here we go. So uh, today on Strongly Connected Components, I am joined by Professor Zailberger from the University of Rutgers. Hello, Professor. Hi. Now, I'm, I'm very excited to have you on the show. You are, you're definitely well-known within mathematical circles for some things that we will end up talking about a bit later on. But I'd, what I'd like to start with is uh, perhaps a little bit of an explanation of how you ended up deciding to study mathematics. What really drew you into the subject? Well, like with many, for two reasons. First, because uh, I love it very much. And the other reason, uh, that's the thing I'm, I do best. So if you do something well, you like it and you love it later. Now, when, when, you, uh, when you started in with mathematics, you started in, I believe, with uh, combinatorics and the theory of special functions, correct? Yes. So uh, what drew you into, into studying something like combinatorics instead of, say, going into analysis or topology or some, uh, one of the other disciplines? I, I love combinatorics, uh, and that's my true love. And I believe that that's the only, the most important thing that there is to study because everything is discrete. And I do, I did uh, love mathematics, but I didn't like mathematics equally. Uh, one thing I... Uh, disliked already in my undergrad uh, years was real analysis that I felt uh, was not at all real, was very artificial. And so that's the part of mathematics I like least. And later on, I made it into a philosophy uh, of discrete and finite mathematics. I believe that that's the only thing that is worth studying. Now, this, this is something that you are actually pretty well known for at this point, is, is this a belief in the sheer and utter importance of combinatorics. Now, uh, having done graph theory myself, I don't in any way disagree with you. But there, there are, I'm sure, plenty of people who do disagree with you. Why, why do you believe that everything in the end is discrete instead of subscribing to more of the continuous philosophy? Well, the, uh, the continuous philosophy is really an illusion, and it was an unnecessary evil before the invention of computers. So that's how they had continuous calculus, but really that's an illusion because the world, both mathematical and physical, are discrete, except like in a movie where you don't notice that it's made of many frames, or a picture where you don't notice that it's made of discrete pixels, you have the illusion of continuity. And once you realize that the continuity is just an illusion, I think 
you have much more profound understanding of the nature of mathematics. So lots of traditional mathematics was and still is a complete waste of time. Oh, one of the ways that you have ended up uh, tackling these uh, mathematical problems has been uh, through something that is has become generally more known now as experimental mathematics. Now, yes. most people, when they hear about mathematics, do not think of it being experimental. They think of it being the rigorous proof-based, a thing that, they, that they've studied in university. So uh, I was wondering if you could get a bit of an explanation of, of what experimental mathematics is. Sure. Uh, the traditional view of experimental mathematics, or even the still mainstream view of experimental mathematics, that it complements traditional mathematics, but it does not replace it. And it's a way, for example, there's a journal called Experimental Mathematics, founded by mainstream mathematicians, number theorists, anthropologists, who do mathematics as they always did, but they use the computer as a pow very powerful calculator to generate conjectures and to get insight. And then, later on, to a human would hopefully prove at least some of the conjectures. Sometimes the conjectures are so difficult that you just keep conjecturing and you don't even think of proving. But still, you have this dichotomy of discovering and proving. Then there's another effort, by, mainly by computer scientists, called automatic theorem provers, that you use the laws of logic, you program it, and using logic and very sophisticated programs that you prove in a traditional way uh, by, by computer theorems using the so-called axiomatic method. So the kind of experimental mathematics that I advocate is more akin uh, in the, uh, to high school uh, algebra, uh, but in a much more generalized sense. You look for patterns, but there's no distinction between, there's no such a clear distinction between the act of discovering and the act of proving because you can also, by the same way as you can discover statements, true statements, for example, uh, the Goldbach conjecture that every even integer is a sum of two primes, you can check it out for the first uh, 10 billion cases and make a conjecture. A computer can also guess a proof, and because both a statement and a proof are both structures that are object, mathematical objects, and you can have the computer empirically conjecture the proof and then prove it. So I call it the ansatz ansatz from the German word ansatz. Of course, a haystack is too big, and then some of, that's one of the problems of automatic theorem proofer. It's exponential explosion if you try to generate all the theorems regardless. So you have to focus and get what you can call a targeted proof machine. So you have to not be too ambitious and try to do all mathematics at one stroke. You focus on a certain area, and then you look at the kind of proofs. And also the previous proofs by humans could be very useful to deconstruct them. And, and then you try to understand what's behind them, teach the computer how to search for them, and then hopefully the computer can do all by itself, all the phases, conjecturing and then proving 
and possibly later on proving collections of theorems and looking for a global structure. Now, you've already helped create something that does this same sort of thing for, I believe it was binomial coefficient identities, correct? Yes, that's true, the so-called uh, WZ theory, yes. And, and so could you explain to my listeners a bit uh, what, what you did with, with that? Yes, it's a collaboration with uh, Herbert Wolf. Uh, we developed an automatic proof machine for a certain type of identities. For example, the simplest binomial coefficient identities almost everybody knows are the, the binomial theorem, or even the special case that the sum of the binomial coefficients is to the power n. If you look at the Pascal triangle and you look at the rows and you add them up, so it's sigma n to k, k goes from 0 to n equals 2 to the power n. So a priori, it's a general theorem that is true for arbitrary n, no matter how big. But there is a clear-cut algorithm that can prove such statements. So, uh, and the proof is by induction, but it's a uniform type of proof for every inputted such, no matter how complicated binomial coefficient identities. And then the computer automatically finds a recurrence. In this case, if you define the left-hand side call it a sub n, to be the sum of n choose k, k goes from 0 to n, then automatically the computer will find the following linear recurrence. a of n plus 1 minus 2 times a of n equals 0. And then, of course, a sub n plus 1 equals twice a sub n. You get the solution, a sub n equals 2 to the power n. So the computer automatically finds the recurrence. Now, this is a very simple case. But the computer can do something with much more complicated things. And in fact, it's very general. For any binomial coefficient identity, you can find automatically such a linear recurrence and at the same time prove it. And if you are lucky and the recurrence happens to be first order, then you get what's called closed form, an explicit answer. Otherwise, you get the next best thing to an explicit answer. You get a recurrence equation of order two or more. Now, would you say that it, it's beyond uh, the realm of possibility that the majority of mathematical proving will be done in this fashion with sometime soon? I, I believe that this is only one harbinger of similar automatic proof machines for other areas of mathematics. And you have to be modest. You cannot, as the automatic theorem proving community is trying to do too much is trying to have a set of axioms and with one machine uh, try to handle all of mathematics. So I believe that divide and conquer is a more pragmatic approach and not using logic, but rather plain computer algebra, an extension of high school algebra. Uh, and this could be applied to many, many areas. But that's why we need lots of smart mathematicians who also like computers and can program it to try to understand the essence of a mathematical problem and possibly look at what very smart human beings did so far. But instead of looking into details, only try to distill the ideas behind the proofs and then teach the computer, i.e. program, how to discover such proofs. And of course, the computers, once they understand what to do, can do something 
and much more complicated than any human can ever hope for. In one of the talks of yours that I watched, uh, because there's, there's a lot of your talks available to watch on the internet, and I thoroughly suggest people do that. Yeah, thank you for watching. <laughs> was stressing the very importance of the definition of the word no. Uh, K-N-O-W. And so I was wondering if, if you could explain uh, to, to the people who, unlike me, have not been preparing to interview you and therefore haven't spent a lot of time watching videos, perhaps uh, explain a little bit about, about what you mean by the difference of the definitions for that word, which, it, which has so many different possible meanings. Sure. I find it really comical, the definition of all mathematicians use the word no. And I think it's very narrow and professional distortion on their part. If you look at the dictionary definition of the word know, of knowledge, is justified true belief. But philosophically, we had the two famous schools. We had the empiricists, mainly British, traditionally, that to know is to get an empirical knowledge by observation. And then you had the a priorist or rationalist, mainly French, originally French, Descartes, that to know is to uh, deduced by, by logic. And mathematicians uh, adhere to the rationalist view that uh, you only know something for sure once you have a rigorous, completely rigorous proof. And I find it very comical because there are so many conjectures that are obviously true, and we do know it uh, much more than we know so-called proven theorem. It's very possible, it's not very possible, but it is somewhat possible that Fermat's theorem or Poincaré conjecture have fatal flaws in the proofs uh, because in the past there were quite a few examples where there were erroneous proofs and then they turned to be uh, believed, turned to be erroneous later on. And the statement of Fermat's theorem and Poincaré conjecture are not as intuitively obvious and the heuristic evidence is less than the Goldbach conjecture, for example. Uh, so, in my view, I know for sure that the Goldbach conjecture is true much more, with certainty much more uh, than, for example, Fermat's theorem. Uh, everything is probability, nothing is true in this world. That's because it has been proved rigorously. So it's only a game. It's a game mathematicians uh, play. So that's the name of the game. But to, to use the word knowledge, for something that is as proved and they don't know whether it's true. For example, people, many people say they don't know whether the human hypothesis is true. I think is uh, is stupid because they do know that the human hypothesis is true. They do know that P is not equal to NP. Anybody on the, in the right mind, unless they're trying to be uh, provocative, uh, intentionally uh, believe that the human hypothesis is true and the P not equal to NP is true. Etc. And the Goldbach conjecture is true. The three x plus one conjecture is true. They all know it. Thus, they don't have a rigorous proof. Uh, having a rigorous proof is a nice game, but it's an artificial game, fun game possibly. But don't equate it to knowledge. You mentioned in there that uh, people who are, you know, saying that p equals np are, are just just trying to kind of play with people. They don't actually believe it. They're just trying to get a rise out. Yeah, I doubt that anybody on the right mind would be believe that P equals to NP. Yeah. Uh, most famously, a uh, very great 
Comatolis, uh, Bela Bolobas at the time claimed that he believes that P equals to NP, but I doubt whether he meant it really. Uh, and, and you mentioned, it, you know, they're using it possibly to get a rise out of people, essentially. And now I was, I was wondering if perhaps this is a, a accusation that's ever been leveled at you, uh, because you are very well known for your opinions. And I don't necessarily mean that in just the opinions you personally hold, but literally the opinions that you write and you post on your website to read. And, and so I was wondering if perhaps uh, you sometimes get that accusation that you're just saying these things about experimental math and, and uh, assisted proofs just to get a rise out of the rest of the community. Maybe that's part of the fun, but I, I mean most, sometimes I overstate my case a little bit, but by and large I, I mean what I say. Well, I, I, I do not disbelieve that at all. I truly believe that, that you agree with these, and I've read quite a few of these, and I happen to agree with you as well on most of them. I was just wondering if perhaps the rest of the mathematical community has ever said that you are just writing these to get a rise out of them. Yeah, some people claim that, so. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 that's, and that's partly true, because in addition to saying what I believe in, I also enjoy being provocative. So it's not a contradiction. And I was wondering uh, if, if we could uh, speak about a, a couple of these, specifically a couple that were written rather recently, within the last couple of years. Yeah. One I'd like to talk about, there is one, I believe it was the 101st uh, opinion that, that you wrote. It was uh, published in 2009. And it's talking about mathematical journals, uh, specifically that all journals are jokes. Yes, I, I be, I, this I truly believe. It's going to be obsolete soon. And if not, it should be. Journalism is a social institution for human beings. So it's very possible, unfortunately, they would stay. Like we have lots of undesirable social institutions still. So because at least as far as human mathematicians would still own, unfortunately, they may still exist in the next uh, few decades. But eventually... I believe that they would be obsolete, uh, would be replaced by another way. Uh, for example, the archive, the way it's now. Not the, peer, the so-called peer-reviewed journals would very soon be obsolete, already not doing a very good job in communicating mathematical knowledge. Now, I, I have to say that I agree with you about the quality of journals. Now, this is probably something I shouldn't say this young in my mathematical career because it might get me yeah. in trouble. But... I it, And I'm pretty sure most people of my generation also don't understand. We grew up with the Internet. We're used to being able to get access to knowledge easily and openly yeah. on the Internet. And I, I noticed that, I mean, you've published an open book. You make your grant narratives public. You, you've gone on record as not liking anonymous refereeing. So what, what specifically about this kind of open access it really strikes your fancy? Yeah, I think uh, that's the beauty of the Internet. Everything could be out in the open, and anonymous refereeing, I think, is immoral to talk about somebody's behind the back. Somebody thinks that a certain article is not worth publishing or is trivial or not interesting. They should be able to say it out loud. And uh, I think eventually people will just post it on their own website, like I do, and possibly the archives, and then... Some of my papers are initiated refereeing, open refereeing. And this is much more reliable because 
in this case, it's not a, not a normal, anonymous, so the referee is more accountable. It will get credit or discredit if they approve as correct something that is not. Anonymous refereeing uh, can do a very uh, sloppy job, both in checking correctness and also in judging the merit of things. So eventually, and as far as evaluating people, it's also obvious. Once a paper is in the archives and the former correctness could also be checked by other people independently and uh, you can get, you can do the volunteer thing, uh, say I've certified such and such paper and add it to the file, uh, even unsolicited. And then, like with, uh, uh, and people can rate papers and review. So, and then they have, nowadays they have this, there's a Google algorithm to rate the influence of citation. So it's that's because it's published in a peer-reviewed journal would not add or detract from the quality of the paper. Nowadays, it will be, thanks to the Internet, there will be intrinsic ways to evaluate the value, correctness and significance of any mathematical uh, article uh, and the so-called peer-reviewed journals hopefully will become obsolete. And if they're not going to become obsolete, they definitely should. It's a big anachronism. Now, another, another thing that you've talked about a lot are, are conferences. Now, the first conference I ever went to was a very, very specialized graph theory and combinatorics concert, uh, conference. But then the second one was one of the major conferences, the Joint Meetings in Mathematics. I believe there was the one in San Francisco. Now, you've, you've uh, written quite a bit about these, these big conferences. As a matter of fact, I believe you said of the most recent JMM that it should just be called the Disjoint Union of 50 Specialized Conferences. Yes, unfortunately, that's true. And one of the, one of the things that you've mentioned uh, about these conferences that seems to be the worst is about the invited addresses. They're both low attendance, and a decent amount of them are overly technical and hard to understand. Yes. So I was, I was wondering if you, if you could explain a bit, uh, I mean, clearly I just gave a bit of an explanation, but if you could uh, elaborate a bit more on to what you really feel the problem with these conferences, especially these major conferences, is today. Sure. This is part of our current mathematical culture. That's part of our, that's why the, uh, mathematics cannot last much longer. It has got it so splintered, and people know everything about nothing, and most people do not know how to give a good talk to the general audience because they're so narrowly focused on their own tiny specialty. So you cannot blame. So it's a negative feedback because talks get worse and worse and then people go less and less because they have no clue what's going on. So I think what's nice about the few experimental mathematics, you have a new attitude. So you don't have to learn and understand all the details but you can see more globally the big picture. So I think that by experimental mathematics may be the cure to the current over-splinterization of mathematics. It's really no more mathematics. The last great mathematician who knew uh, everything was Israel Gelfand, and he died a few years ago, two years ago, unfortunately. And so that's uh, very sad. So mathematics is really uh, divided into a digital union of many, many specialties where nobody has any clue what the other is talking about. One thing you, you mentioned about giving talks is that laptops are the worst, overhead projectors are bad, 
uh, blackboards are better, but the thing that people should really be aiming to do is to just tell the story. And, and I was wondering if you could explain what you mean by tell the story of something, of, of a mathematical paper. Uh, give that main ideas, the big picture, the historical background, the perspective. There's no way you can follow details that you're not familiar with in a 50-minute talk. And most people do not realize it. They either know it, but they don't care. And many people, they don't really care whether they understand them or not. They just like to to say whether to talk to themselves or get the recognition. In a way, it's an empty formality. It's also to be an invited speaker in an AMS conference is considered an honor. So they just want to do it. And many of them sincerely try to explain what's going on, and very few really succeed. And some of them don't even make an effort to explain. They just start with their own technical lingo right away without any regard. So some people, they hope that some of them understand them, but most of them are unsuccessful, and some of them don't even try. But this is really sad. Um, so that's why a laptop is not good. Of course, if you use a laptop correctly and go very slowly, by all means, it's not. It's just 99% of the people abuse a laptop and go way too fast. It's not the laptop per se. It's just you're tempted to give even a worse talk than you would if you gave a blackboard talk. There's one last thing I'd like to ask you about. You mentioned before about the disjoint unions and now a lot of people in the different disciplines can't actually talk to one another. Uh, do you think that this that this uh, not communicating can be a really bad thing? Because it does seem that a lot of the really important results, at least recently, do seem to happen when you actually combine different areas, correct? Yes, that's true. The case breakthrough is done by combining. That's why it's very important that people are familiar, at least... Uh, in broad terms with other other fields. That's another danger of over-specialization, uh, that you don't see the big picture and potential connections between different things. And you truly believe that it's, it's really experimental mathematics, imperial mathematics, that can uh, help, help us from this fate that I also see happening, of us just kind of going and doing more and more things on more and more abstract areas that no one really cares about. Sure, but empirical interpreted broadly. Traditionally, empirical means no proof, that's conjectures. So empirical means also, whenever possible, using the computer to discover proofs that are considered rigorous proofs by every conventional standards. So empirical in the more general sense, using the computer to empirically discover statements and empirically discover proofs, if possible. And also, I believe that uh, the notion of rigor should be more fine-tuned. I coined a long time ago the term of semi-rigorous proofs, meaning that if you had a big enough computer, you you know how to get completely formal proof, but this computer may be uh, too big for the present and even for the future. So you have to go to probability statements. Well, uh, Professor Zellberg, I want to thank you so much yes. for joining me today. Sure. Thank, thank, nice talking to you. And looking forward to listening to it. And that is all the time we have for this episode of Strongly Connected Components. If you want to suggest a guest or leave me any feedback, send me an email, samuel at acmescience.com. 
As long as you're on your computer, why don't you head on over to iTunes, leave us a review, and head on over to acmescience.com, where you can find a link to Professor Zaleberger's website, as well as links to his opinions, which are fantastic. You simply must go read them now. The intro music was from Hard and Firm. The song is Pie off the album Horses in Grasses. And the music I'm talking over right now is from SP12. You can find them over at opsound.org. This podcast is a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike licensed podcast. And if you don't yet know what that means, I'm going to tell you. You can take all anything on here, anything at all, remix it. Re-release it, do whatever you want, as long as you say you got that audio right here from acmescience.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you come back for the next episode of Strongly Connected Components. <laughs>